At AIA Australia, we're making healthy living easier by incentivising your clients with rewards, like discounts on their gym memberships, eligible flights and insurance premiums with AIA Vitality. It's no wonder that we've reduced client lapse rates by 50% and helped grow client engagement. To find out more, contact Welcome your AIA CDM today. Streaming in. Um, I currently can't see any viewers, but, but I'm sure there'll be some. We've got plenty of people registered for today. Uh, we're super excited. How, just before we get into anything, Ray J, how'd you find XY Social? I loved it, mate. I, I, my favourite part, I mean, I reckon we had pretty good hosts. Uh, sorry, pretty good panel, but my favourite was probably the host. <laughs> yeah, uh, definitely. Yeah, definitely the, the guy who was, um, yeah, organising the, the, the questions and, and asking the hard-hitting questions of your boss, uh, he was definitely the best. <laughs> yeah, I'm, uh, I find myself getting the mail and dropping it off now, so I don't, I, I don't know if that's related or uh, I don't know if there's uh, correlation, correlation, that sort of thing, but there's definitely... That's right. You're now, doing, you're now doing the coffee runs. Yeah, 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 thanks. All right, let's get straight into it. Uh, we've got an action-packed XY Live today. So today, um, I just want to first off mention that everyone, if you're not already in the Facebook group, you need to join the XY Advisor Facebook group. There's conversations going on every single day. Uh, and I was actually talking to uh, someone the other day about it, and it's probably the only place that I know of within the advice industry where it isn't kind of tainted by product providers, you know, trying to give their spiel or by, um, you know, dealer groups kind of um, pushing their kind of agendas. Uh, It's the only place where you can go uh, as advisors, uh, for advisors, just ask questions. Um, So make sure you join the Facebook group. I think we've posted the link to join the Facebook group uh, in the chat box. So make sure you open up the chat box today. We have Sharon McClafferty. And I hope I've said that right. Nailed it. Good. Um, She's from Slipstream Coaching. uh, And Sharon attended the Simon Sinek uh, conference early last month. It's $1,200 per head. So uh, we are bringing kind of the learnings um, from that conference or to you guys, and we're just going to talk about how, you know, from Simon Sinek's talks, how that, how we implement that in advice businesses. Um, so, Sharon, just tell us a bit about yourself and what Slipstream Coaching do. So, Slipstream Coaching coach uh, accounting and financial planning firms, uh, specifically ambitious firms. So, in order to work with us, you need to want more than you currently have, um, and that could be financially, it could be lifestyle, whatever. So, we work with some high performance firms uh, all around Australia. And we do anything from just initial three-year business plan, operational plan, to ongoing coaching. So an average firm might work with us for three years, uh, probably probably maybe four. Um, so we don't believe coaching is forever. So you have different coaches for different stages of your business. Um, yeah, so that's sort of what we do. So with the Simon Sinek stuff, we've actually been implementing that in firms for six years. Uh, so we took a bunch of our sort of top performing firms to go see him and get 1200 bucks for three hours. So, uh, yeah, he's a bit of a rock star. Yeah. So just if for anyone out there who's never heard of Simon Sinek, can you just give us a rough idea of who he is, why people are paying 1200 bucks for three hours? Why? Why? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that was for non-VIP, by the way. VIP is... 
Um, okay, so Simon Sinek uh, shot to fame through a TED talk that he did in 2009. It's the third most watched TED talk of all time. Uh, so he's got 31 million viewers uh, on that talk alone. Uh, so in 2009, he wrote a book called Start With Why uh, and then did that sort of 18 minute TED talk. Um, if you don't know what a TED talk is, then that's going to be your biggest takeaway from this webinar. So nothing else will be as important as that. Go Google TED Talk and like live there for a couple of days. Um, yeah, so that's his shot to fame, not with the video and not with the book, but with the concept of start with why. So it's essentially, it's called the golden circle. So you've got a bullseye, why is in the middle, followed by how, and around the outside is what. And he argued that most companies and most leaders uh, communicate from outside in. So they tell you what they do, they tell you how, and they may tell you why. But exceptional companies and exceptional leaders communicate from the inside out. So they start with why. And some of the examples he gives are Apple, um, Martin Luther King, the Wright brothers. And so when you deconstruct their messaging and why they do what they do, that's what drove, that's what drives them. So it's that concept that's made him quite famous. So he's now launched a new book called uh, Leaders Eat Last, which is really around leadership and um, I guess being the leader you wish that you had. Uh, and so there's some, there are some game-changing um, pieces of advice in that book for particularly medium to large businesses, so probably not as applicable to this audience. Um, yeah, but he consults to Disney, uh, the US military, Pfizer, Microsoft, so, um, yeah, he, he, in management circles, he's a big name. Yeah, cool. So, um, you know, given that I'm not the CEO of Disney, um, <laughs> I'm not uh, running a massive company like that, what are the kind of the main takeaways from the session that you went to uh, that uh, we as ad advisors, small business owners or medium business owners can implement in our business? Yeah, so before I sort of launch into takeaways, it's probably um, to give a bit of a disclaimer up front, and he actually gave this disclaimer. He is an optimist. So he is an out-and-out -out optimist, uh, and I actually worked out sort of throughout the event. He's, he's like the Seinfeld, but to business. So he pulls out things, he pulls out concepts that seem really complex, and he can make them really simple. And he makes observations that everyone goes, oh, yeah. So he's like comes out with all these, it's quite like Seinfeld, but for, for business. So um, probably three of the takeaways. The first one would be, um, if anyone's studied sort of Jim Collins stuff, you would know the concept of, or you will have heard of it anyway, getting the right people on the bus. Uh, so have we got the right people on our bus? And that can be true for, you know, a team of two. So are we the right team of two? Um, and he argued, it's not about the people, it's about the bus. So stop blaming all of your problems on your people and start working on your culture and the circle of safety and the security that you can provide those people because people can't thrive and fulfill their potential if they're worried that if they don't hit next month's target, you're going to fire them. So if they're worried about that, then they're never going to take a bullet for you. Uh, not that that's like quite literally the goal, but um, it was a good concept to leave going well if you find yourself constantly saying, oh, it's the wrong people, uh, you need to do some more work on your bus. And that comes back to, you know, what are our values, how are we articulating those? Um, and, 
you know, being, being honest with yourself. So one of the audience put up their hand and said, oh, but what about if, if you've got an idiot on your team? Uh, and he said, well, take accountability for hiring a really good person in the wrong job. So personally take accountability because that person might excel elsewhere, but you've hired them in the wrong. So that was a good concept to come out with. So very much in leader's face, like be a leader and take ownership of that stuff and stop blaming your people. Um, the other thing that he spoke about was um, the biology of metrics, which I think is for financial planning firms particularly is good to know. So it's good to know that we probably are all dopamine junkies. Um, so that's the chemical that's released when we hit a target or, you know, ach achieve an accomplishment. It's that chemical is why sometimes you, you do a task and then you write it on your task list just so you can cross it out. Yeah. So that's dopamine. So by crossing it out, you get your little hit. Um, so dopamine's um, a valuable thing to, um, to know about because it means that it's why people say you must set goals, you must have metrics, um, but it's also, it, it's really a, sim, a simple thing. So it doesn't work when you have complex ideas. You can't say, um, I'll give you a bonus uh, when you achieve more. So you're never going to get your dopamine hit. I will give you a bonus when you hit revenue of $33,000. Simple, you know, um, clarity, and you're going to get that dopamine hit. However, loads of businesses and probably a lot on the line um, rely too heavily on dopamine. So that's a real individual instinct. So we will go for, as cave people, we will go for our hit of dopamine at the expense of others. So if you have a whole business running on this individual targets, then you'll never sort of hit your peak of efficiency. So you need to also understand serotonin which is the social chemical. Um, it sort of drives us to seek the recognition of others. And uh, so this is where you, like some of your clients actually, this would be a good one to understand. Like they may do, they're not building their wealth from them, for themselves. They're building their wealth for their kids or their parents who are getting elderly. So they're doing it for someone else. Um, and it's great in a business to include that as well. So a lot of the firms we work with are, uh, they, there might be some individual metrics, but the metric that we measure the business by is always a team metric. We want everyone incentivized. So some of our firms, if they hit this team metric, they might get an extra week's annual leave. Like it's a big deal. So how hard is that team working together to get the week's annual leave? So it's, uh, it builds sort of cohesion. Um, it's like, uh, it's the leadership chemical. So. Um, I would encourage you guys to do a bit more reading about dopamine and serotonin uh, because they not only affect your businesses, they affect uh, how your clients are motivated as well. And to understand the chemicals that are happening is, was pretty cool. Um, and the third thing was the why. So know it, articulate it, tell the world. Um, and so he spoke a bit more about uh, if you're struggling with it, uh, how to find it, um, and how to get it sort of how to build your cult i don't think you use the word cult but to tell the world this is our why yeah. Yeah. Uh, and you'll find people who are attracted to that story so i mean there's literally a lady in the audience and her business was um chocolate bouquets so instead of sending flowers you send chocolates but in sort of a bouquet she had like 1500 people in tears with her mm -hmm. why 
Like there's no reason, but but her why was around um, breast cancer. And that was actually why she started the business. That was what drove her every day. Uh, so if you can find that, it can be really powerful. So that's probably the, the takeaways. I mean, there was loads of others, but they're the three that I think you can do a bit more research on. Yeah. So those who are watching, make sure you throw out questions. If you've got any questions about the subject, uh, we'll get to them at the end. But I guess my question is, it, it is hard to do this stuff as a business owner. You're running a small business. It's really hard. So how much time do you think we should dedicate to, uh, to you know, as a business owner, thinking about your why, uh, you know, thinking about how do we motivate staff? So how much time should we invest into it? Um, so it's, it, uh, the, the why is a once-off event. If you crack that code, uh, it doesn't really change. Your business will change and evolve. You could even change what you're offering and your why may remain the same. Um, so that is a one-off investment of time and I would encourage you to do it along with a business planning process. So, yes, that's going to take... So we run a business planning workshop. It takes two days. and So it's two days of your life. Uh, but the evidence around having a documented business plan uh, is profit per partner is like 200% or something crazy. So, you know, uh, time is never going to be a good excuse to not do that. So why and values are a once-off. The metrics, so the firms we work with might change their metrics every quarter. So setting new metrics, getting the team fired up, um, the biggest mistake you can make is not having them at all. Like you guys know that, you know, so, so clients without goals are yeah. going to hit them with deadly accuracy, right? So, uh, so put that into your business. Your business needs goals and metrics, I would say, quarterly. So what, two hours in the last week of the quarter to redefine what the metrics are going to be for the quarter ahead. So some of our firms are doing revenue, some of them are doing referrals, some of them are doing leads. So it could be a different metric every quarter, but this is, this is not a massive investment of time. Uh, Do you like the idea of the, the, quarterly, uh, the quarterly metrics as well? I think it's a bit remiss of management theory to do things on an annual basis, and I'm kind of keen to hear your your uh, your view on this i think it just affords for too much recency bias you know i think everybody can can create a, a brilliant may june uh you know part of their financial year in the lead up to their review for july and uh you know suddenly what you did in november last year is, is pretty easily forgotten is there thoughts about that yeah so i think some of the reason why quarterly targets and now i'm giving away some secret sauce here but some of the reason why quarterly targets work is because it takes one deadline so an annual deadline and creates four deadlines in the year so how fast do you work in lead up to a deadline right so the more to to an extent the more deadlines the better so yes our firms hustle so that they turn up at their quarterly meeting with some good results now, if that was annual, yeah, you might hustle for a couple of months at the end of the year. So, so it's pretty simple, but having, um, you know, they're not real. They're just deadlines that you say that they are. They're not real deadlines, but you say, I'm going to hit this target by this date. So, yeah, I much prefer quarterly. Um, so we track our firms monthly, but then the targets are all quarterly basis. 
Yeah, I think I think I quite like that. You know, in in financial planning, I know one one of the things we we kind of do. We use the analogy that your financial plan is like a the the the, the route that a, a ship would take, but the the ship's never really on the route. It's it's forever making adjustments back to that yeah. route. And if you only make that adjustment annually rather than monthly or quarterly, then those those shifts feel to be much more. They're much more. You know, they're they're, they're not as nice or as pleasant or, or yeah. at a smaller scale. They're they're quite they're quite considerable. And ninety days is a good time frame for implementing projects. So if you said, well, I'm going to launch a new website, a month is too short. But in ninety days, you can do that. So if you gave yourself a year, it would take a year. Yeah, have you? It's it's interesting. Um, sort of studying some of this um, at at, uh, at university at the moment, where there, there there seems to be a real a real shift in um, management theory around uh, moving away from money being the sole the sole motivator or, or the sole I guess um, cherry that that um, that employers are putting in front of their staff because it, the, the the theory seems to suggest that intrinsic motivators are, are much more powerful than to to motivate your staff so things like that annual annual leave extra week of annual leave and those sorts of things as soon as you said that i thought geez that's pretty awesome yeah, yeah people are, hustle for that yeah have you have you sort of seen how, how how powerful that is or have you sort of got to a point where you're putting putting metrics or a or a quantitative uh multiple on on, on you know that sort of intrinsic motivator yeah so i mean we work with a lot of firms and so i guess in some ways we get to reduce trial and error uh, so the firms who have uh, finance, like it, it has to be in line with the culture and the team, but the firms who have financial um, bonuses usually are, yeah, don't perform as well. So you could have a time off bonus. Like for if, if you've got team members and they've got families, what you're actually doing is giving a bonus to the entire family. Like you get dad or mum home during school holidays for an extra few days. So our firms for the last quarter, a lot of them gave an extra two days around Easter, so which takes a four-day weekend into a six-day, and that's actually significant. And those teams, they hustled to get their extra two days. Um, the other one people have done, they've done trips. So if you've got a young team, then, you know, let's have a, you get a bonus two ways because you get the bonus, the trip away, um, and you get the culture moment. So we've had groups take their people, you know, skiing in New Zealand. We've had one firm take, this was an annual target, but they took their team to Vegas. Um, yeah, I mean, you put that stretch target where suddenly tickets to Vegas, you go, well, stuff it. If I grow revenue at 38%, yeah, on a, on a certain base, yeah, mm. I'm buying my team tickets to Vegas. So, you know, and that, the thing is they tell all of their friends, like that becomes this conversation outside their working life. Yeah. Um, so if you can infiltrate outside someone's working life, which you can't do with money, uh, then you've, you've got it. So if they're telling their friends, my boss is taking me skiing or my boss is taking me to Bali, uh, if we hit this target, mm. you have nailed it. It gets a bit easier to get into the office a little earlier on that cold, rainy Monday morning in yeah. August. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to Bali. Yeah, yeah. No, it makes, I mean, makes I'd love to hear from people watching. If you can just put in the comment section below if if you've got KPIs within your business and what type of KPIs. Are they the financial KPIs or are they more that intrinsic KPIs? So that would be good, just a quick straw poll from, from people watching. Um, because just following up from that, what, what are you finding as a – just 
as a good takeaway for people watching, what are you finding as a, a solid base for, for KPIs? Is it, it's a mixture and, and how, you know, within your business, working with advice businesses, how are you finding that kind of uh, KPI structure working really well? Yeah, so it is, it's generally a mix. So um, when we meet firms, sometimes they're quite anti-tracking uh, financial KPIs, but their numbers usually are poorer for it. So I get the whole let's not track, you know, only financial KPIs, but let's make sure we track them. Um, so other things that people are tracking are, you know, conversions and leads uh, and client referrals, client testimonials, Google reviews. So there's a whole, you don't want to make it too complex, but you can actually change these numbers every quarter. So this quarter we're tracking, you know, these three things are going to be really important. Next quarter it could be a completely different three things. Uh, so it's like that ship, I guess, Ray Day, like, Where's our ship need to go? Okay, we need to go back to leads. Okay, we need to go to efficiency. Um, we track turnaround time on SOAs. Um, yeah, so there's a, you know, 40 different things that our financial planning firms are, are, are tracking and they change them often. Um, but we would like one of them to be a financial one. Yeah, and are you, uh, within, your, within your coaching services, are you putting that onto your... Uh, advice businesses to come up with their own or are you saying hey this month I reckon you should be or this quarter you should be tracking this this quarter you should be looking at this now so in the first instance they all uh, come up with their own because that's really important uh, so to own a KPI it's it's a lot easier if you've come up with it and that actually extends to their team so if you're putting KPIs on team members you need to ask them okay well I'm tracking this what do you think it should be because if you just say, I think you should be, you know, your efficiency should be this or this should take you this long, um, then they don't own that. But if they say, I will bring in 50K of new business this quarter, they will own that. So it's way more powerful. That said, with firms we're working with, um, we do sometimes say, you know, recommend, oh, let's change that one. So, I mean, we've got, you know, firms who say one of their KPIs is refreshing their reception. And I say, well, you know, Bloody go do that yourself, but we're not tracking that. <laughs> and, and for those for those watching as a takeaway, I'll just sort of further that, Sharon. I, I I can't stress how much the academia supports the idea that you need to create accountability for, for your staff and, and ownership as well. So if, if the, the KPI is a financial metric one, that, that's okay. But almost you if, if the team can build that and create it and take ownership for it then when you when you're doing your reporting to that target it's 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 theirs and they talk about the idea that one of the things especially younger employees and you know we're a younger crowd and we probably all get it one of the things that i really enjoy about about a role is is having autonomy and ownership in in a, in a job rather than having my my runway set for me and i'm, I'm, I'm running somebody else's game uh, because you, you take sort of pride in that. Did, did, was, was, was any of the session kind of talking to that and how, how younger employees or I guess younger generations are, uh, are sort of looking at these things a little bit differently? Because I think, you know, older generations perhaps were, were uh, you know, company men, you know, you'd, you'd sort of finish your internship after, after university and you retire uh, with the same institution and a golden watch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so his latest um, video, I guess, to... to be a sensation was quite recently and it was about millennials in the workplace. Mm. Um, and it was really, so it, I watched it and changed some of my behavior that day. And I had some apologies to give out in my life. Uh, so one to my husband, because I've been living through my phone and he's constantly like, get off Twitter. Um, so I watched that, 
I watched that clip and just went, wow. So it was absolutely about um, how different um, the next generations are in terms of workers and how they will demand autonomy and flexibility. And if you can't, you know, if you can't cope with the idea of flexibility or someone logging in from home, um, then you're going to need to pack up your shop. So he's, he's basically said they are coming out of uh, school and university uh, with less social skills than they will need uh, in the workplace. So, uh, you know, a lot of people have been living through their iPhones for a long time now. Um, yeah, so it's a, that is a really good clip to go and visit as well. So, yep, we're going to need to change some things and give people the autonomy to both succeed and fail. Yeah, and do you think that extends when it does come to those those KPIs or those targets is having the team or the staff be involved in articulating exactly what that is? So if you have a review and you miss it, it's like, well, you know, I didn't set the goalpost and you missed. It's like we, we collectively failed, so let's let's work out why. Yeah, correct. Um, so with most of our firms who are larger and have sort of anywhere between six and 12 team members, um, they actually have one-on-ones every quarter saying, you know, I think... I think these are the three areas that we want to track and what do you think those numbers should be? Uh, and so the team member comes up with it. Um, and, and if they go low, so if they go, well, you know, I think I'm only going to bring in a new client, this one new client this quarter, um, that's that's an opportunity for a discussion. Well, why do you think that is? Or where is your confidence lacking in that yeah. area? Or how can we help you? So you yeah. have that conversation up front, not at the end. Yeah. Uh, and it totally changes the outcome. I suppose that also talks to the other the other theory, and sorry to keep coming back to the, the academics behind it, but there's something known as uh, you know in management theory root cause analysis. So you're not you're not sort of facing the problem that you see in front of you. You understand what's happening behind that. So if you've got a member, or if you create a, a target that's probably lower than what's fair or realistic, rather than shooting at that as the problem, understand yeah. where that's come from because. There's, there's an environment or a context which is suggested that that person thinks that's, that's reasonable. So don't yeah. first and understand what's, what's behind the scenes. Yeah, so to link that back to some Simon Sinek content, so where he said, like his book on Leaders Eat Last, he talks about this creating a circle of safety. And the circle of safety means that someone in your team should be able to walk into your office and say, I'm feeling completely inadequate. I don't feel like I am up to the task that you've set me or mm. I've failed. So this circle of safety where they can say, I've failed or I'm not feeling confident, um, you need to create that and, and they need to have no fear that they are going to be negatively affected in their job or career from being really honest. Um, and so if you can create that circle of safety, it will pay off massively. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, that's really difficult to, to kind of build that environment like i know for myself with with staff um it it is hard i've i often try and um, build that and talk about that but i had a staff member leave may last year and and just as you were talking i i was very open with her and and i was very much about saying come and talk to me about anything but but it didn't necessarily translate and so you know thinking back how do i how do I change certain behaviours that I did? Um, because when she was leaving, I did a like kind of an exit interview, and I said, "Look, I'm not going to be your boss in a week's time. Be as brutal as you can be, because I'm not going to learn anything if you don't, um, you know, kind of help me become better." Um, and and there wasn't anything you know necessary that 
it was pinpointed. Maybe I just needed to be a bit better about how I managed that interview. Um, but I felt like I created that environment. But, but thinking back, I, I kind of think, you know, some of the feedback was, you know, being in a small business was really hard because we kind of, I'm pinging around all around the place, you know, changing my mind. And, and that was difficult. Um, so, you know, what are some ta- real takeaway tips that, that managers or, or, you know, employers can, can, you know, implement in their business to have that kind of, that circle of safety? Yeah, so he used the phrase, which I really like, um, there is nothing that you can break that I can't fix. So, so I support you to make decisions in line with uh, the values of this business. Um, And to say that you have to have values. Um, But yeah, there's nothing you can break that I can't fix. Or like the idea of, I've got your back. So if if you're a manager and not an owner, if push comes to shove, I am in your corner. So if you've acted in the best interest of the business, the best interest of the client, uh, if, if you can hand on heart say, I did this for, you know, non-malicious reasons, I will go into bat for you every single time. So it's that culture that you're trying to get across. Um, but that said, like, absolutely, there are people who are never going to thrive in a small growing business where you're constantly pivoting, but there are people who love that. Mm-hmm. So it can be that you found a great person, but you're not the size that they needed. And what about if you are sort of that, that one-man band or you're kind of just starting out and you're creating these metrics for yourself, but, you know, at the end of the day, you've kind of just taken on a lease and you've got a new computer and you, you haven't got a, you know, a business yet. How do you, how do you sort of frame things, I, I guess, in a, in a helpful way that, um, that you know, is, is probably not, not disheartening, I guess, if, you, if you're not quite reaching them, but also keeping yourself honest? How do you, how do you sort of create those, those targets for yourself? Yeah, so I had a really interesting chat with a firm recently. We set this massive stretch target and it was their first quarter working with us and they've gone, you know, there is no quarter more important than the first quarter. I can't believe we're not going to hit this. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm angry that we're not going to hit this first target. So it was a massive stretch revenue target and they hit 90%. Biggest, biggest quarter they've ever had. But to them it was a failure. I was like, this is not a win or lose game. You have achieved so much more just by setting that target and going after it with gusto. So I guess to give, cut yourself some serious slack. So it's not about win or lose. So there is this massive um, gradient. Uh, yes, yeah, so, I mean, we've had firms today where we've sort of red penned them because they haven't hit the target, but geez, they've come close. And that is also to be celebrated. So I guess the, the takeaway is um, just like, like your beautiful board behind you, use visual management. Use visual management to set your targets and look at them every day. Uh, and you may or may not hit them, but you'll do better than you would without them. Yeah, yeah so just to kind of move away from these the KPIs and, and, yeah. and management, um, you said that, you know, d- developing your why is a once-off thing. And I love hearing that I only have to do something once because uh, I am I'm all over that. Um, how, how do, what are, you, what are your recommendations uh, for people, you know, struggling to articulate your why? Because I know that that is the centre of what Simon Sinek talks about. So 
Um, yeah, what are, what are some tips? Give us some recommendations of how to develop that. So the reason why you, like many people, so you are not alone if you're struggling. If you've watched the clip and you go, God, I don't know what my why is, you are not alone. So one of the major reasons for that is that the part of the brain that is control of emotions has no capacity for language. So you might in your gut, in your gut, you know your why, but you actually can't formulate that into words. So don't beat yourself up. That's totally normal and probably a good thing if you think in your gut you have a why. Um, so we actually help. So we've got a couple of, um, worksheets that we go through, that firms go through and sort of answer a whole bunch of questions. Um, so for anyone listening, uh, I'm happy to send those through. So if you email me at Sharon at slipstreamcoaching.com.au, um, I'll flick you those worksheets because they help. Uh, so they're going to ask questions like, uh, what are the top services that you're providing? Uh, what are the results for the clients if they take up that service? And how do those results impact their lives? So by asking a series of questions, you kind of go, oh, there's a theme there. Um, so maybe a good way to think about it. So I, we work with a uh, financial planning firm, so planner and two team members, so not a big business. Um, and when he started working with us, he had a very single metric. I want to double my average spend per client and half my client base. So uh, one of the first things we did with him was business planning because, okay, well, that's a great idea but how are we going to do that in practice and so um his business was already we found out a bit different so his average spend per client at the start was twelve thousand dollars it's not bad for a planning firm sure. so his why when we sort of articulate well, who are you working with who do you like working with why did you start the business um i actually wrote it down so i'll read it out because it is a, it sort of shows you that every planning firm is going to have a different why uh, so his is partnering with you to live an extraordinary life. We enjoy working with interesting people with ambition. So the type of people he is attracting to his business is totally different because they've now articulated that why uh, and they market that why. So we work with exceptional people who are ambitious. So their average spend has gone from 12K to 20K in 18 months. Mm. So it's a one-off event, and if you get it right, it, it could change, like it could really change your business. You could turn up to work going, yep, I'm more excited to work with this niche or to help people in this situation or to deliver this service because you've, you've nailed that why. Do you have a, an opinion as to when, when you go through that process? And the reason I ask, I went through a grad program, and they did a lot of this stuff, which was wonderful, talking about ideal clients and why I would enjoy working with them. But the simple reality was I was probably a bit too green to understand what went, and I didn't know what I didn't know. So I was kind of caught in the mix of wanting to do a brilliant business plan and understand what I was building. But to say why, I, I would be guessing. Do you, you know, do yeah. you, yeah, what, what are your thoughts on, on that? Um, yes, I mean, in an ideal world, it's, it's early. But the thing about the why, it's your business why and your personal why should be pretty aligned. Yeah. So my personal why hasn't actually changed when I've changed jobs. So I was working for another coaching business um, who stopped coaching and launched a technology product. And they wanted me to stay on this technology product. And I said, you know what? That technology product is not going to change anyone's life. And I realized like the why I turn up to business because I don't want to have like a, a, 
incremental impact on someone's life. I want to change people's lives. So that is my personal why. It's also our business why. Um, so it kind of doesn't matter how green you are. It could be why did you, why financial planning? Yeah, I was just thinking that perhaps why, why are you looking at this as a career and then understand that and then from that you've got to yeah. context to work out who would, is, who would fit with that. Yeah, but the ideal client one, I agree, you will actually get better at that the more clients you work with. So ideal client is sometimes you work out you actually really like this type of client to work with another firm who he says, oh, no, I don't have a niche. just happens to be that 30% of his financial planning clients are IT professionals. Yeah, he's got a niche. <laughs> yeah. So I said, okay, do you like working with that? Oh, yeah, I really like working with those guys. They earn good money. They've got interesting jobs. I get what they do. Like I, I like that stuff. I go to their conferences. It's like, yeah. okay. So he wouldn't have known that. Um, so I think the ideal client does evolve and that's something you can revisit every two to three years. Do you see there's, there's a difference between uh, or, or do you like themes, I guess, because I, I know you work with advisors and accountants, um, but, you know, I think, I think for us as advisors, we, we tend to, to see it as a, as a bit of a, a fence between the industries, different approaches. Um, you know, the industries can generally attract different people. Do you, do you find, I, and I ask because I know a lot of advisors are looking to work with accountants and try and understand you know, their way of thinking and, and, and the like. Do you, do, you, do you sort of see, you know, many differences between the, the industries or is it just something we've built up in our heads? Oh, no, it's legit. Like, <laughs> yeah, you're totally different people. Yeah. Um, which is why people think we're crazy that we put you all in the same room. Um, so my business partner, Scott Charlton, has written two books on this subject, one for accountants to understand planners and one for planners to understand accountants. So it is a different language, different people, um, but you've got a hell of a lot to offer clients. So we kind of go, we don't care how different you are or we, we actually don't even care if you've had a bad experience with each other because it's in the best interest of your clients to work together. So, uh, yeah, we're a bit tough love on that. Get over yourselves. Your clients need you to work together. Uh, so, yes, no, it's not in your head. It's, it's real. Yeah, yeah. Well, I imagine that it makes for some pretty interesting why conversations if uh, you've got a bit of yin and yang happening. Yeah, so, even, so back to the guy who articulated his niche being IT professionals, I said to him, why, why, have, why do I not find this on your website? Like, why are you not marketing or writing blogs for IT professionals? And he said, oh, well, if I come out and say that that's my niche, then accounting firms won't refer other work to me. And I said, are accounting firms referring work to you now? He says, no. <laughs> so I was like, well, what have you got to lose? And so then he did. And at the time, there was a firm in the room that he wanted to work with. And so he said, oh, well, I do work with IT professionals earning over 250 and I've been doing that for a long time, really good at it. And the firm he wanted to work with and has been trying to get a referral out of for three years, one of the partners goes, oh, we've got a couple of those guys on our books. I should send them to you. Mm. So just own it. Like, like if you have a niche or if you have something you want to do, you will get more reward from owning it than hiding it. So yeah. to not say something because I want general referrals, he wasn't getting any anyway. Yeah. Okay. So I'm... We're quickly running out of time, but I'm like totally enthralled with this conversation. But I've got do have one last question, just about the why. So you did say your personal why should kind of marry with your business why. What happens if you know when I talk to lots of people and hear lots of people, it's all very much 
I am the most selfless person in the world. I'm doing this to help better humanity. What happens if your why is a bit more selfish? My why, let's say, is to be the best dad I can be. So how does that marry with my business why? And, and how, because a lot of whys are very selfless focused, how do you marry those two together? So I would argue that that why is incredibly selfless. So your kids are external to you, even though it might feel like they're not sometimes. Um, so how that marries to your business why is that you might find yourself predominantly helping families because you know deep down how strong that drive is to provide for families and to protect families. So you might find that that why, that, that why sort of infiltrates who you start working with and who you can speak really passionately to. Um, yeah, so they, they might marry. And I don't think that is selfless at all. So, um, so I don't think that is selfish at all. Um, so I have met people who go, I just want to make a ton of money. Mm. Um, and so they, like, and a few of them, I actually do believe that. So some people are really low on the empathy scale. And it is a pretty selfish why, and they really struggle with this stuff. But if your why or it is truly selfish, then it's going to be really hard to attract people to you. So that's attracting team members, attracting clients, and because you're never going to be able to be, to be authentic. You can't mm -hmm. say to someone, listen, the reason I'm in business is because I want to join the three comma club and have $100 million in revenue, right? So... Mm -hmm. People, you're not going to attract team or, yeah, so it's, um, yeah, so the, the selfish ones may never reach their potential. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of one of my, yeah, it's been a question. is like, well, if, if I just want to make a bucket load of cash, I'm not going to communicate that to my clients, potential clients, because they're just going to look at me and go, well, you're going to try and rip me off. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and there are people who do that really successfully. So there's a whole bunch of those, you know, real estate spruikers that we all know of and I'll teach you the share market kind of spruikers. And, you know, they all get found out and you Google them and it's, you know, quite negative. Um, so, I mean, those people exist and they, they might be successful on one metric, but uh, if that's, you know, that's probably not our audience and that's not who we want to be. Yeah. I suppose everyone's climbing their own uh, Maslow's hierarchy and some are, some are still working out how to how to eat i guess <laughs> yeah 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 that's right so i mean thank you very much sharon this has been a fantastic conversation and we will uh move it into the facebook group so sharon if you're not already in there we're going to give you a link to join um because we need you in there to kind of further discuss um you know all this simon senek stuff um, and talking about TED Talks, actually, I forgot to mention this. My favorite TED Talk is from Dan Pelota. I think that's how you say his name. It's uh, The Way We Think About Charity is Dead Wrong. Watch that. Uh, if you've got anything to do with nonprofits or charities, it's an amazing talk. So uh, my top three takeaways was um, we only need to do the why, you know, in depth once. Love it. Don't need to revisit it if I've nailed it. Uh, the second thing was the KPI shouldn't just be financial metrics. And the last thing that both me and Ray J were been messaging each other that this was a great quote is uh, as, as managers or leaders uh, telling and being making sure your staff are comfortable knowing that nothing you can break uh, that I can't fix. That was just an amazing kind of quote. Um, so that's my top three takeaways. 
just want to thank uh, AIA for supporting XY Live. Uh, and thank you, Ray J, for jumping on the call. And thank you so much, Sharon, uh, for coming and giving us all your great insights. Thanks, Bill. Thanks, Ray J. Thanks very much, guys. All the best. All right. We'll see you all next week. See you guys.